Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All righty. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting guest. You know, we're going to be talking about the cannabis industry. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, financing, all of the good stuff that uh, we like to hear. Talking also about believing in what you're doing, culture, going about building a team, as well as obviously going public. You know, really exciting journey. What uh, our guest has for today for us. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Graham Farrar. Welcome to the show. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having, having me, Alejandro. I appreciate it. So originally, you grew up in Santa Barbara. So give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Santa Barbara, I mean, Santa Barbara is a beautiful town that uh, almost feels like bragging uh, to talk about it. It's right in the ocean, uh, kind of in the middle of California. So just on the northern tip of what most people would consider Southern California. It's got uh, fantastic weather, uh, great people. I was lucky enough to grow up here, and uh, I've got two young kids who are growing up here as well. It uh, also happens to be a great place uh, climate-wise for growing weed in a, in a greenhouse. That's amazing. Now, now in your, in, your, in your case, actually, you were always, you know, in high school and stuff like that. You got into weed. You were even, you know, selling it to your friends. But there was quite a little bit of a pushback there at that point in terms of consciousness around it, the way that it was perceived. So talk to us about that. Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, hopefully I, it's okay to admit it uh, now, but I was uh, certainly uh, uh, smoking and uh, and selling weed, uh, you know, earlier than I should have been, and earlier than I would would recommend in high school. This was, you know, back in kind of the uh, the early '90s, and and back then the culture around you know cannabis or society's view of cannabis was significantly different than it is today. We were right in the middle of Dare, which was drug abuse resistance education, just say no, uh, all the Nancy Reagan stuff, and the, you know the the society's uh, kind of stigma, you know, speech on cannabis was that it, you know, made you stupid, that it made you lazy, that it made you fat, uh, that it was a gateway drug. Um, you know, basically all things that uh, have since been proven to be 180 degrees from that. As we sit here now, you know, cannabis is looked at as medicine. If you read the studies, people who smoke weed have a lower body mass index. So they're less fat. They're more, you know, oftentimes more motivated. They exercise more. Um, you know, I think it's it's a really positive thing. Uh, and at the time, though, it was told that it was, you know, it was the devil, right? So building out alter to alcohol, which is essentially uh, what a, you know, what a bar is. Um, you know, prescription pills are fine because they come from pharmaceutical companies, uh, cigarettes, whatever, no big deal, right? Now you look around and, you know, uh, alcohol kills something like 150,000 people a year. Cigarettes are uh, similar in the 100, 150,000 range. The biggest, uh, you know, epidemic we have out there is actually opiates, which came from the pharmaceutical companies. So, you know, back, back then it was very uh, much a hidden thing. Um, now it's uh, nice to see that the you know moral arc of the universe is long, but it's uh, bending towards justice, and the truth uh, always eventually comes out. So it was a very different time back then, uh, but it told me taught me that uh, that you know cannabis had a lot of positive benefits and uh, reoriented my view on the world that you know alcohol is, is really the poison, and cannabis is a medicine. So good people take it just for the side effects. Do you think that that's saying what pushed you into studying biology and 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 perhaps also biochemistry? You know, later on in Colorado. 
Yeah, uh, so I went to CU Boulder and I studied bi uh, molecular biology and biochemistry during the time I was there. I've always been a, a you know I'm kind of a tech geek uh, by by nature, a cannabis lover uh, by passion, and uh, you know entrepreneur by experience. So I've always really been interested in how things worked, and uh, you know I think that was that the opportunity to combine the science and technology of cannabis with my love for the plant and what I think it can do for society is. Uh, I think really what, you know, was is such a serendipitous good luck uh, for me in my life. Now, in this case, you know, for you, you ended up uh, graduating from Colorado. And then, you know, basically, you know, you had it on the on the side, the uh, the in the closet, you know, the weed. But in parallel too, you know, you ended up joining uh, what ended up becoming a rocket ship. You know, that was Sonos, you know, Sonos as an early employee there on Sonos. What was that experience like for you? I mean, it sounds like that was really incredible as an experience. Yeah, so it, it actually started before that. Uh, it started with software.com, which was uh, what brought me back from Colorado uh, to Santa Barbara. Um, and, you know, as you mentioned, my first weed grow was there in Colorado. This was before it was legal at all. So it was very much, you know, under the radar and clandestine. It was a little two foot by three foot closet in my apartment, but I set it up in, you know, it, it, for the time, at least a pretty high tech way, uh, CO2 supplementation, uh, automated irrigation, an ebb and flood system, mylar on the walls to maximize the light, uh, you know, smell, uh, carbon filters and high pressure sodium lights. Um, and it was small. I, mean, I think it was six, six plants, but back then, uh, you know, cannabis cost $45, a pound, right? So even what could come out of my little closet uh, made a difference. It's actually probably part of the reason that uh, I have my wife today is uh, she started then as my girlfriend. And, uh, you know, thanks to the business side of cannabis, um, you know, she could either eat at the cafeteria in the dorms or go out to sushi with me. And I think maybe the sushi was the original reason we started uh, hanging out, but uh, then fell in love. And we're you know married today with two, uh, two young or not so young kids. Now my daughter's 17. Um, and I came back home for the summer and it was actually software.com, which was we made email servers uh, for ISPs and telephone companies uh, back when that was a new thing, when everyone was just getting on the Internet, you know, who wasn't at a university. Uh, every Internet account came with an email address and we made the software that ran uh, those uh, those the, the, it was the mailbox, the digital post office. So uh, I came back to Santa Barbara, worked really hard. Uh, you know, AT&T was our first customer. They were the fastest growing ISP in the world at the time with over a million users. Uh, we went public. Our timing there was serendipitous and uh, great. It was right in the dot-com, $200 a share stock prices, et cetera. Uh, so I sold out of some of my stock. I bought a sailboat, grabbed my girlfriend, uh, who Sarah, who was uh, uh, from Colorado, eating the sushi. And we got on a boat and we spent the next two years sailing from Santa Barbara down to New Zealand. Uh, we got engaged in the middle of our trip, came back home uh, to Santa Barbara to get married and to avoid you know, picking up centerpiece arrangements and wedding planning. Uh, I called my friend John McFarland, who is the, the CEO of software.com, uh, up and asked him what, you know, was going on, if there was anything I could help with. And he was just sitting down with a few other folks we knew uh, with the idea of making an iPod for the home. And that iPod for the home is what, uh, what eventually became Sonos. So again, I got very lucky that I uh, got to be on kind of the founding team of Sonos. I uh, worked there for a number of years uh, and really turned that, you know, I mean, 15, 16 years later, I'd still say it's the best product in the category, which is is amazing. Um, I've got units in my house, which were the original design, you know, pre-FCC certified units, and they still work and they still get the software updates, which is absolutely incredible for tech. Um, and, 
that was an amazing Sonos has been, you know, since gone public as well. Um, and after I left Sonos, I went on another boat. And so uh, for another two years with a friend this time with my daughter, who was one at the time and three, when we came back, we sailed around the Mediterranean and the Caribbean for a couple of years um, and then came back again to Santa Barbara. Uh, and this time uh, went to cannabis with a company called Leaf, which made fertilizers for large scale growers. And before we, we go into this, you know, the I want to ask you there, obviously, having the opportunity of 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 seeing two companies from not much to going public. What kind of visibility did that give you into the into the life cycle of a business? I mean, Sonos, what a smashing success. I even use Sonos myself. Yeah. We have Sonos here in my house. So so it's it's really amazing the the level of impact and being involved with a rocket ship like that. What what visibility did that give you? Yeah, I mean, it really it's you know very lucky and to see that life cycle and the arc of a company like that is a is is rare and you know have been able to have done it twice from startup to to IPO uh, with software and our and Sonos, uh, and then now with a glass house, uh, you know, makes me feel like a, a really lucky individual. Um, you know, I think it's it's a couple of things. It's it's the right team and the right culture and the right product market fit, and then a whole bunch of really hard work. And uh, with both of those, you know, particularly with Sonos, um, it was uh, you know designing something that the world didn't even know that it wanted yet. Uh, was not only do we have to get it right, but we had to get it right. That getting it right was something people even wanted, um, and that I think is, uh, is is particularly unique. It's one of the be- benefits or the beauties that cannabis has, which is you already know people want it, right? It's uh, people have been paying the price, uh, have been using it since the cost was uh, it was going to jail, right? So you know, it's six thousand years of uh, human experience with it. So now you just got to figure out, you know, you know, the products wanted. Now you just have to figure out how to deliver the best, the best quality for the best value. So they grabbed, and after you know this second time, you know sailing, you know around the Mediterranean and beautiful beaches and and things like that. You come back, and and then what's next? Uh, so yeah, so I came came back off our second trip. Uh, my daughter was three at the time, and um, I actually did something an app company uh, called iStoryTime, which was you know again kind of just solving my own problems in many ways. Uh, made an app that read storybooks. We converted movies um, into uh, digital books, basically, on when the iPhone was brand new. So that uh, at dinner, um, I could give my daughter uh, something that wasn't a video game and it wasn't a movie. It was kind of the books, you know, the movies she loved, but in a book format. Um, and then uh, sold that to a group in New York and then started, uh, you know, my first kind of foray, I'll say, into into the legal side of cannabis with an ancillary business called Elite. And what our goal with that was, was that we saw what we believed to be happening in the kind of the transition from Prop 215 and the under, you know, kind of behind the, in the shadows, medical markets uh, to Prop 64, which was full adult use. And that that was going to mean that, you know, it was going to be more agriculture, less about going to a hydroponic store. Uh, There's kind of these crazy, you know, ideas around nutrients in cannabis, all very expensive. And what we wanted to make was a system that was really clean, uh, and that you could buy at large scale. So, you know, when the greenhouses converted and when it became more of a, a commercial business, not in someone's garage, but instead in someone's greenhouse, they would have a, a, a nutrients fertilizer, basically, that fit with that scale. And as we were going around and selling um, this to farmers, what we realized was that we were teaching them how to grow cannabis so that they could buy our fertilizer and basically said, well, if if these are the best farmers and we're teaching them to grow, why aren't we just the ones growing it? So that's about the time uh, I met my partner, Kyle. 
Uh, he's a real estate guy, um, a very, you know, kind of anti-prohibition. Uh, he's, you know, comfortable with, I'll call them hairy deals, you know, deals where it's kind of repositioning of things. And, you know, cannabis, of course, there are no mortgages, right? So if you want to buy a $4 million greenhouse, you need to have $4 million in cash. You can't put 800 grand down and get a mortgage for the rest uh, because it's cannabis. And so I worked with him and uh, his, you know, kind of group. And we bought what we thought was the nicest greenhouse in Santa Barbara for cannabis. Uh, it was 150,000 square feet. This is about, you know, come, come about eight years ago. And at the time, we just thought it was, you know, the biggest thing you could imagine for, for weed. And, and at the time it was. We liked how that was working. Uh, and so we used that as a model to buy a second one also in Santa Barbara at 350,000 square feet, which, which we were totally sure was the biggest thing uh, ever in cannabis. And at the time it was, uh, and kind of, you know, put that together. So we had a half a million square feet of uh, cannabis greenhouse, which made us one of the larger greenhouse growers uh, in the country and for sure in the state, um, and also gave us a lot of experience. So we've been doing this kind of large scale uh, cannabis greenhouse growing for, you know, with an amazing team for longer than most people uh, have. Um, and then we combine that with the retail side. So, you know, Kyle and I partnered again um, on uh, the pharmacy, which is the first ever 21 plus dispensary in the city of Santa Barbara. Um, so we won one of three licenses there and that started us on the retail side. Uh, and then we eventually decided to put the whole thing together to become uh, what is now Glasshouse brand. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com, and we would love to take a look at helping you out. So what is House Glass Brands today? I mean, what's the business model? How do you guys make money? Yeah, so um, there's really, we're vertically integrated California cannabis. We're public. Uh, the ticker is GLASF on the OTC. Uh, we're on the NEO exchange in Canada because it's cannabis. We can't let yet be on a U.S. exchange. Um, and so what it is today is uh, we're the largest cannabis greenhouse cultivator uh, anywhere on the planet, as far as um, I know, that's currently operational. Uh, we went public for the reason uh, to raise money to buy what we believe is a unicorn farm down in Camarillo. Uh, we call it our SoCal facility. It's a 125-acre greenhouse. That's five and a half million square feet, um, which would be far and away the largest a cannabis greenhouse anywhere on the planet. It's, you know, a top three greenhouse uh, by size 
uh, in the country of any crop, not just cannabis. And we went public to buy that. Um, and so now we have that farm. It's a million and a half square feet that's currently in cannabis. Uh, we are in the process of adding another million and a half square feet down there. We still have our two uh, farms in Carpinteria. So that's about two million square feet uh, going to three and a half million square feet. We also have 10 retail stores across the state, the pharmacy brand, uh, the natural healing center brand, pottery uh, are all our stores. And then we've got a top a number of top flower brands. One is Glasshouse Farms. That's kind of our signature where we started. Uh, All's Well is a recent value brand that's an amazing product for an amazing, incredible price. Uh, we also acquired Plus Gummies. So we've got a top edible brand as well. Plus is uh, uh, in the top 10 and is an amazing product. Also, uh, Forbidden Flowers, uh, Field Extracts um, are a number of the brands we have. So we take it all the way from you know the seed to the ashtray uh, in, in California. And we're one of the largest, I think the largest uh, California public uh, cannabis company at this point. And how has it been the process of raising money first and then, you know, like taking the company public? How has that uh, journey been like? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a, an incredible amount of work. It's really hard. You got to be very gritty. Um, and then cannabis just kind of, you know, is it makes everything an order of magnitude harder. So uh, having done a few you know businesses before, at least, you know, the regulations were were steady. Uh, you know, people weren't afraid of, you know, getting seized. You didn't have to do all your business in cash. Like, you know, even today, you can't use a credit card in any of our stores, right? I mean, that's an, an amazing restriction. It's like trying to ride your bike with a, you know, brakes stuck halfway on. Um, and cannabis just makes it all uh, more difficult when you're raising money, you know, insurance, payroll. I mean, we used to do back in the old, you know, old days, we did payroll in cash, right? So we had a hundred employees and They'd get an envelope for their, you know, their kind of their pay stub in it, but it wasn't a check. It was, you know, $600 bills, a five, a 20 and three nickels, right? And it would take two people an entire day to do payroll because we couldn't actually write a check. Now we're fully banged. Now that, you know, you know, we've made a lot of progress on that, but going public, uh, I think going public period is hard. Going public in cannabis is incredibly hard. Uh, and then we did it during COVID as well. So it was day after day of a road show. Uh, we raised, I think it was like $85 million in a pipe uh, to go along uh, with the IPO to, to fund the greenhouse. And it was just, and then you're still operating the business and you're still doing it in a federally illegal uh, industry. And, you know, everything that should be easy is, is, is hard. So it was a, a very educational process. Um, experience is what you get right after you need it a lot of times. Uh, and we got uh, a lot of experience, but we got it done. And that's the important part. So I guess, you know, for building a company like this, how do you go about balancing not only the uncertainty of building a company from nothing, but then also dealing with the regulatory restrictions? Yeah. So, I mean, cannabis, cannabis is really unique as, as for sure the hardest um, industry that I've been in. And if, you know, if you don't have a, and I think this applies to everything, if you don't really have a passion, it's going to be really hard to be successful. But I think we fundamentally believe that cannabis makes the world a better place. And so what we're doing is trying to bring as much quality cannabis to as many people as possible. We're trying to build a company that people enjoy working at. Uh, we're trying to make a product that consumers love. And if you put those together, almost by definition, you're going to create shareholder value. So, right, like we're making the world a better place. We're creating products consumers love. We're making a company that people enjoy work at and we're creating value for our shareholders. And that to be able to do all that uh, together is what makes it worthwhile, because what it takes to do that is incredibly hard, right? I mean, we live in a world where 
that's federally illegal. So you have all kinds of legal considerations. You can't use a credit card in our stores. You can think of the drag that that puts on on making sales. Uh, We have taxes that are absolutely astronomical. Uh, For every $3 a consumer spends, one of those dollars is going to taxes. I mean, to put that in context, the excise tax on a bottle of wine, keep in mind alcohol kills 100 and something thousand people a year, the excise tax on a bottle of wine is 15 cents. The excise tax on a one gram joint, cannabis has never killed anyone in recorded history, is $1.50, right? So the ex- the taxes are 10 times what they are on alcohol. We talked about cannabis and more and more realized that cannabis is medicine, but we tax it like it's a vice. And we put regulations on it like, you know, most dispensaries end up over by the dump or by the strip club, right? It's like people, there's this real stigma around uh, around cannabis. And that's one of the things that we have to fight with every day. Insurance is harder. Payroll is harder. Banking's harder. Uh, you know, we can't do still to this day, can't trade uh, on a U.S. stock exchange, right? So you're doing all the normal hard things of a business, uh, especially a growing business. And then you have this, you know, extra weight, these, you know, weights around your neck as you're trying to swim through the surf of cannabis. So if you don't have that passion, uh, there's no chance that you're going to make it. So definitely there's a lot going on in the space. So I guess the uh, question that comes to mind here is, you know, as you're thinking about the future now and obviously, you know, being a public company, having raised money from investors, vision is everything. No, it's a, well, it gets everyone around, you know, and, and pushing towards, you know, the that exciting, you know, world of possibilities. So if you were to, let's say, go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision, you know, of the company, you know, is fully realized for Glasshouse brands, you know, what would that world look like? I mean, I, what we want to do is create the most consumed cannabis brands in the planet. That's our goal. So, you know, we're, uh, I think, we're some of the best farmers. We run the largest cannabis greenhouse anywhere uh, on the planet right now. And we're only, you know, 20% full from where we're going. So I think it's well within our sights to have the largest cannabis greenhouse uh, in the known universe as far as we're aware. And everything in this in this industry starts with the plant, right? So growing quality cannabis. Uh, for good price and good value for the consumer and being able to do it at the scale that can address a national and eventually global market is, is our goal. I mean, I would, I would like Glasshouse to be within reach of every every person on the planet who, uh, you know, is, is 21 or, uh, or older and in the legal state um, is really what we're, what we're trying to do. We're going to take everything that we grow, put it in a, you know, a product with our label on it uh, and get that into everybody's hands. In today's world, um, you know, our entire market is California because there is no interstate commerce yet uh, in cannabis. But we believe that's a, a win, not if that that changes. Um, cannabis is not going to be the only CPG product on the planet where you're stuck in a in a state market. It's horrible for the consumer and the patients. It's horrible for the environment. Right? I mean, there are states out there where patients who need cannabis as medicine are being forced to pay three or four times what they could in a state like California for product that's a quarter is good. So I think, you know, that comes down. Uh, we want agriculture to happen uh, where, you know, grow plants where plants like to grow, i.e. California for most people. Uh, you know, California is to cannabis what Cuba is to cigars or tequila is to Mexico. Um, you know, the idea that if you're in Wyoming, you drink Wyoming wine uh, would, is crazy. You don't drink Wyoming wine. You drink wine from Napa because that's where the grapes like to grow. Cannabis is no different. Uh, the illicit market tells us what consumers want, which is California cannabis across the country. So if I wake up in the morning, you know, my my dream is that we're growing uh, in all of our greenhouses. We're shipping cannabis across the country. Uh, consumers love it. It's making them feel better. It's making the society better. And, you know, we're 
a company that's worth billions of dollars because if you can create a product that consumers love uh, and they're willing to pay you more than it costs you to make it, uh, you make money, and that's what uh, you know. That's the business side of things. So you know, I'd love to see Glasshouse on the shelves uh, across the country and across the world, and uh, see the stock price uh, reflect that. And obviously, right now, uh, 300 million market cap. So really amazing the fact that you guys have been able to create this from nothing. No? Now, we were talking about the future, but I want to talk about the past and doing so with a lens of reflection. Let's say if you were to go into a time machine, I put you into a time machine right now, and I bring you back in time, back in time to that moment where you were thinking about getting into this space, you know, perhaps building a business. Let's say you were able to have a sit down with your younger self. Mm -hmm. And you were able to give your younger self a piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why, given what you know now? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of, uh, I'll, I'll call it like 10-year overnight successes, right? What, what kind of looks from the outside is like all of a sudden, you know, Sonos is a good example, right? It was nowhere and then all of a sudden it seemed to be everywhere. But we were there grinding away for a long time before anyone had heard our name. Um, and I, I think it's similar you know, if I was going back and telling my younger self, I'd say, you know, I give myself the advice to be prepared for a longer and a harder road than you expect, right? Because so many things, when you get down to the actual doing of them, are are harder than you can imagine. There's challenges that you can't foresee, uh, and particularly with cannabis, right? Like the idea to me that uh, props, you know, Prop Two Fifteen came around in like 1996, I think, right? So we're 26 ish years in uh, to that the idea that we still would not would be federally illegal and we would have zero progress on that and like i, I would have lost that bet 10 times over right the fact that we prop 64 has now been around for over five years in california to this day five years into the legalization in california there's still only a thousand dispensaries open in the entire state of 40 million people right like for context there's 11,000 liquor stores in california there are 77,000 places you can buy a cock, you can you know get a cocktail. There's 1,000 places that you can buy a joint, right? And this is for something that arguably you know, that makes the world a better place, right? Alcohol is poison, cannabis is medicine, and five years in, uh, you know, the market's basically stagnant because the regulations are, are so tough, the taxes are so high, and we're you know they're talking at the federal level. Maybe they'll reschedule cannabis uh, from Schedule One, which is no known medical benefit and a high potential for abuse, right? Fentanyl, for example, where we have an epidemic of people dying is scheduled too. Cannabis is scheduled as more dangerous than fentanyl. There's talking about it going to schedule three, right? Which is in line with like codeine and things like that. The fact that it's even on the schedule and that we don't have federal legalization uh, is just, is, is mind boggling to me. And I, I would have told myself, you know, be ready for, you know, take everything you thought you were gonna do, Double it because that's how it always is, and then double it again uh, because it's cannabis. And if you're not, you know, committed to that, then you know, save your effort. But again, we really believe we're making the world a better place with what we're doing, and uh, you know, building a great company and giving you know our employees a great place to work and making products consumers love and uh, creating value for the shareholders, shareholders all at the same time. So that makes it all worthwhile. I love it. So, Graham, for the people that are listening, that would love to reach out and say hi. What is the best way for them to do so? Uh, I'm on Twitter as uh, just Graham Farrar, um, G-R-A-H-A-M-F-A-R-R-A-R. Uh, our website is uh, glasshousebrands.com. Um, our brands are Glasshouse Farms uh, Plus, uh, Mama Sue, Field Extracts, 
all's well. So you can look up for all those things. Um, and that's, you know, that's probably the best way to find us is to uh, track down our products and, uh, and try them for yourselves because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. Amazing. Well, Graham, thank you so much for being on the show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, Andrew. I appreciate it. Great chatting with you. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.